Welcome to In the Gutter, a podcast that is all comics, all bangers, all the time, with story expert Lonnie Diane Rich and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. One of the hosts has read almost no superhero comics, and the other has read almost all of them. We'll let you sort out which is which. And now, In the Gutter. Okay, I have a musical realization that I made just this week. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. it is going to date the living shit out of us. So whatever episode it was where we were having people drink when we accidentally dated ourselves. Uh, yes. You can either drink nothing because I'm not doing this by accident or you need to line up shots starting here and ending here. So here we go. <laughs> so uh, I listened to a, a Slate podcast about pop charts that I find absolutely mm-hmm. fascinating 80% of the time, and the joy of podcasts is if I'm like, I don't give a shit about that, I can just keep listening, you know, move on. I don't have to listen mm-hmm. to that episode. And so the it's called Hit Parade. So this week's episode was about Hootie and the Blowfish. All right? So already okay. dating the shit out of myself. But what I found mm-hmm. super fascinating was that they were talking about how, like, that's like 93, I think, 94, something like that, is when mm-hmm. Cracked Rear View just, and it's certified like 100 times platinum now. Like, it's ridiculous, you know. Yeah. Um, but that they were talking about uh, how it's just this weird coincidence that, and this is a phrase I'm borrowing from the podcast, that jangly guitar mm-hmm. Americana became hot shit for just a minute, <laughs> long enough. You know, but you can see it in other stuff like like right. Nirvana's follow up yeah. around that time was very different. You mm-hmm. know, um, uh, Blues mm-hmm. Traveler shows up like just, you know, lots of lots of nobody hits the heights. Uh, uh, well, I mean, you know, Nirvana hit its own heights. But, you know, with that kind of sound, nobody hit that those heights like Hootie uh, mm-hmm. and the Blowfish. And uh, and I had this realization where I was like, cracked rear view is to us. What Frampton Comes Alive was to, like, my parents. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So Frampton Comes Alive and Cracked Review are both albums that fucking everybody had. And if they say they didn't, they're a liar. But also <laughs> we all pretend like we didn't have them now. And I looked around right. my office mm-hmm. <laughs> at the 20-somethings that I work with. And I was like, this observation is not for these people. They don't know who Hootie and the Blowfish <laughs> is. They don't know who Peter Frampton is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but th- please react to my res- to to my thought process there. What, what how do you feel about that? Does that seem right to you? Cracked review that the Frampton comes alive of our generation. Well, now you're going to force me to come out as a person who knows absolutely nothing about music. Like I'm vaguely familiar with Frampton. Um, I do remember Hootie and the Bluefish. I did not own Cracked Review, but I did have a lot of County Wink. Crows. I had August and everything after. No, like I'm serious. A, like I didn't. What a choice between. <laughs> but, uh, okay, so Frampton comes Crows. alive. I had like yeah, mm-hmm. yes. Is mm-hmm. so famous for its ubiquity that they made a joke about it in the Wayne's World movie. So again, dating the shit out of myself. Have another shot. Where give me a song from it. <laughs> from Fra- it's a live album. Like it's all. It's like it's the a stuff- live album. Yeah, that's why it's called Frampton. Was Frampton comes like alive. Oh Baby I Love the Way? Was Frampton, oh, baby, I love your way. Okay, so I do know who Frampton is. Yeah. Like, I don't know anything about music, so music doesn't date me the way that, like, discussion of TV shows dates me. Oh, fair. Okay. 
All right. Yeah. When no, I they made a joke about how they issued fucking dates me. Yeah. Frampton comes alive with like uh like you could send in proofs of purchase with laundry detergent to get it. Like that's the Wayne's World joke, <laughs> something like that. Like that's how ubiquitous uh, it was. My mom has a copy uh-huh. that my dad pretends we don't own. Like I mean it's <laughs> And and I say we Wait, because the original this has album. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh, I came into a house of vinyl, friends. You know, yeah. Oh, but you still have it. Oh, my dad does. I don't. All have my it. vinyls. Like, they, gone. they have. Oh, yeah. They have their mm. vinyl. I never had. Well, I had like um, I had like forty fives. You know, I didn't buy like whole yes. albums because mm-hmm. cassettes were a thing by the time I was, you, you know, like buying music. right. But I'm familiar with vinyl. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. When I was like five or six, I was the needle dropper. Like, they would tell me to go drop a needle because I could find a song. I don't remember this. I was five. But apparently, I was incredible at it. So, and now, what oh a useless skill. What a skill that will never be and used again. And all the again. youngsters are like, what's what's the needle? What's that about? Right? So, <laughs> vinyl and needles needle? and turntables are what DJs use now yeah. to make music. But we used to only <laughs> use them to play music. That was what we had. Yeah. That's what we had. Oh, God. That's right. That's pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> so that's, yeah, that was, that well, was the love, deal. Yeah. So. I lo- it's yet one more space where I know nothing and you can educate me on the history of what's going on. Oh. Here. I mean, like, I remember vinyl. Like, I remember vinyl. But, like, if you, I'm terrible with music. Like, I like music. You know, like I'm not, you know, a Philistine or anything, right? You know, I like music and I listen to it, but it's just not like the kind of thing that I go to the way I go to TV. Now, if you want to talk about Moonlighting, Scarecrow and Mrs. King. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, oh, like, I can. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hawaii Five-0 original. Like, I just saw that they were remaking Magnum P.I. And I was like, are you kidding me? They're doing a remake Yeah, of that dude doesn't even have a mustache. What the fuck? Like, why are you even bothering? I don't even know what the hell that's about. Like. Um, Get out. Get out of the space. It just doesn't work. So anyway, yes, that is where I age myself in those references. But I do appreciate, you know, like your your musical association. And of course, like a shout out to Hit Parade, a, a podcast that you can absolutely predict that I have never listened to. Because is it terrible? Like, am, am I going to get hate mail? I don't really care that much about music. Like, I like it. Oh, so no. Okay. But I'm not like I, deeply invested in knowing music and music history. Okay, I don't know that I'm really deep. Like I, I have mm-hmm. particular genres and artists and stuff that I absolutely love. Like music is is like real, very much a mm-hmm. part of like you know my my sort of mental real estate. You know. Yeah. Um, but what I think is fascinating to me about Hit Parade, what that does to me is. It is such a confluence of like popular opinion and money mm-hmm. and pop culture and trends. And when when weird shit happens, like jangly guitar Americana taking over from fucking grunge, <laughs> I am curious. Uh- <laughs> right? Like that kind of that kind of thing. So the right. the like random, yeah. the ones that are just sort of like, here is the history of a movement. Like sometimes that's interesting. Or when they follow like all of Madonna's career, because that's like four careers for anybody else, right? Sure. That mm-hmm. stuff's interesting. But what I really like is this kind of thing where it's like, hey, here's a band that was the top of the fucking world for five minutes. And here's how that <laughs> A happened and B stopped happening. Through through right. no fault of well, their Darius, own. Well, Darius, 
Yeah. Hey, listen to me though. Listen to me drop a name. Darius Rucker, right? Wasn't that mm-hmm. the singer from yes. Hootie and the Blowfish? Doesn't Absolutely. he have like a career as like a country music star now? That's actually the background radio. So the first part of this was all about the yeah. sort of rise of Hootie, mm-hmm. but the background sort of radiation of this is Rucker finding their his next career, right? Like yeah. after after mm-hmm. Hootie and the Blowfish. Because the guy's mm-hmm. got a really like impressive voice. Like it's just really rich and warm and Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um and that apparently uh, again I haven't heard part 2. I can't wait, but apparently he almost landed on his feet a couple of times uh and now is like a country mm-hmm. and western singer, which I find really depressing because I love country music <laughs> from about 1988 uh-huh. and before. Um and then there's mm-hmm. like a brief sliver of things that I'm interested in from high school because nobody was listening to the music that I was listening to, so if I wanted to pick up girls, mm-hmm. that's what was up, had to know some country. <laughs> but overall, I'm like <laughs> Modern country's hot garbage. Uh, yes, feel I don't have a Twitter yeah. to at me anymore. So just come find me wherever you can if you have an argument about that. But so I'm sorry. I mean, I'm kind of upset that like that's where Rucker landed because I'm not gonna give a shit, and yeah. I'm kind of sad about it because now mm-hmm. I've been reminded that uh, I liked him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that I I I yeah. spun the shit out of Hootie, despite the fact that everything else in my collection was like Dr. Dre, Tupac. Biggie, <laughs> Wu Tang, you know. So, uh huh. Yeah. And the, that, and, I, and not I for lack nothing. an opinion on all of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I still owe you a P Funk <laughs> playlist, don't I? Know it. Um, <laughs> but the true. place, the place that this comes together for me is that the the looking at the the weird trends and how they affect the pop charts is not dissimilar mm. to looking at like what's hot and what's not over the course of like superhero comics, like legitimately, you know, that's, that's, Mm -hmm. these are not disassociated for me. Like I care more about comics than I do about um, music, honestly, but Mm -hmm. there's more data on the music. So I get like all wrapped up in the, you know, in the nerdery, but it's the same thing as this, where it was like, Hey, let's, let's revive a JLA people are going to give a shit about. And (laughs) no, I mean, honestly, like that was the deal. That was the, let's get, Uh let's get a big up and comer, you know, whose uh, name is really, you know, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a weird pull for superhero stuff. Let's get that guy. Give him a pure superhero artist and and let them have the biggest characters in DC. And that lightning strikes and turns me into a huge DC and Grant Morrison fan. Like both of those things happen from yeah. this one book. It's not dissimilar to out of nowhere. Apparently we're listening to Hootie <laughs> and the Blowfish. <laughs> I feel like those are connected personally. I think that they absolutely are. And trends affect everything that is part of pop culture. Um, So I absolutely love that. I think that is a fabulous transition into the issue that we're talking about today, which is a continuation of last week's issue, Fire in the Sky. So I'm going to go ahead and do the summary again, 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 as best I can, considering that most of the time I have no idea what's going on. In Heaven on Earth, we see San Francisco being torn apart by Asmodel under the Captain Obvious narration panel saying, not all angels are good angels. 
cool, cool, cool. As Superman tries to prevent the moon from falling into the earth, Asmodel demands that Zariel show his sorry face or he's going to lay waste to San Francisco, which seems like something he's kind of already done, but you know, whatever. Zariel shows up with the whole JLA at his back and says, not today, asshole. That is not an actual translation. That's a paraphrase. Meanwhile, the demons are pissed because their little moon toy isn't pulling the moon to the earth anymore. Something is resisting. Yeah, that's Superman, mofos. Get used to it. Meanwhile, Wally the Flash West is stuck in the transporter, flickering back and forth between the moon and San Francisco, wondering who wanted him and Superman out of the way. Back on Earth, the JLA are trying to take on Asmodel and the Bad Angels, and Zoriel thinks they may be able to get Superman down here to help if they can disable the signal holding him at bay in Asmodel's chariot. Green Lantern and Aquaman stay behind to keep Asmodel busy. Meanwhile, at the hospital, the man who was formerly in a coma wakes up and heads out, leaving patients and staff behaving in very disturbed ways as he escapes. We will definitely talk about that later. And speaking of disturbed, Wonder Woman goes to Asmodel's chariot and disrupts the disrupting signal, getting both Flash and Superman to Earth while being sexually harassed by an angel. So just another Tuesday for Wonder Woman, I'm guessing. Superman fights Asmodel, somehow able to stand up to the light of heaven, which only the purest of souls can withstand, while Wonder Woman tries to keep Asmodel's falling chariot from destroying San Francisco. On the ground, Green Lantern imagines up a device that can cancel out the angel's supersonic vibrations, taking them all out, and suddenly battle's over. In the aftermath of their victory, Superman offers a space in the JLA to Zariel, which Zariel declines. He'll stay for the cleanup, but he's got some mortal business to attend to, which appears to be heading to a woman's house to tell her that even though she does not know who he is, he's in love with her. And now we've got City of Angels happening there, I guess. Meanwhile, the demons are pissed. They didn't get the moon, but Neron says they've got a better game to play. Damnation. In the epilogue, the JLA is bringing Green Arrow onto the team when they are interrupted by some dude in black. I'm guessing it's Coma Guy? Maybe Josh should have done the summary. No. You got All it. Right. All of it. <laughs> Even your guesses are pretty good guesses. Yeah. Is that? Yeah. Is that okay, good. Because I really had no idea what was going on. All right, so here we are. <laughs> now I've the done refrain. the summary. And once again... <laughs> it's just the constant refrain. In the gutters, colon, Lonnie thinks she doesn't know what's going on, actually doing just fine. <laughs> All of it is so wild and yes. out there. And, and as I'm reading it, a lot of the times I'm like, I'm taking a guess, but I'm not 100% sure that this is actually what's happening here. Um, I'm interested. Like, here's the thing with JLA. I got to tell you, I've never been bored. You know, like, I'm never <laughs> bored. I'm, I'm yeah. often confused, but never bored. So uh, for this issue, go ahead. Give me your general response to this issue. Oh, I mean, I love it. It all works for me, but... I'm already tuned into this frequency. Ha ha ha. More on that mm -hmm. as we go. We'll talk about <laughs> it. But like I'm tuned in on this, right? I, I'm I'm all the way in on Morrison and Porter's art is great. We'll talk a little more about that in a minute. I, I think though mm -hmm. that all of us who are big Morrison fans can admit that there are times when a two-parter feels like it should have been a three-parter or a three, a four, or a four, a six, or something like that. Um, there, <laughs> right. I mean, I can, even the ones that I really love uh, of their stories, sometimes there's a feeling that, like, 
it's sort of picked up so much momentum that it doesn't fall down, but it trips over its feet a few times on the way. You know, like it's all there, but it's all happening in 10 pages when 20 would have been better or something like that. I don't know that I necessarily think that's this story necessarily, but like that's that's a vibe like I can I can. I can get that feeling in general with Morrison superhero stuff, even if I don't necessarily land on it here, you know? Yeah, it was a bit much for me. Like, it does feel to me like too much story packed in too small a suitcase. Um, I don't dislike it, but I yeah, feel yeah. like I need more breathing room to get what's happening. And I'm really like, honestly, like I'm really responding to like the uh, the Superman vulnerability we've had sort of going on um, that, you know, here he is. He's kind of in the middle of this identity switch, which may or may not be something that they really want to deal with. Um, but it's it's interesting. I'm into it, but I'm I'm also really confused and not really sure exactly what the hell is happening. Like. At any point. Okay, well, let's uh, dive into this art because I feel like you know what's going mm-hmm. on, but we'll pull apart the story after we chat art to make damn sure you know what's going on. Jack, give <laughs> us some let's talk about the art music. All right, so starting with the cover art, which is what we like to do, um, we have this like really dynamic shot, right? Um, In the skies above Mm -hmm. the Golden Gate Bridge, we have John who looks to be hitching a ride with Zariel into an angel battle. I think that's what's happening, but it also feels a little bit like Zariel, like maybe he's pulling Zariel down because we have, we have Zariel in this like downward motion where he's holding out his sword, but there's some kind of flaming projectile coming at his face um it's cool it's beautiful it's interesting but i don't know what's happening well you know speaking for myself i have no notes i don't need to know what's happening (laughs) i just need to know shit is happening um Uh uh i mean you know it's like uh these two guys they're they're brand new bros getting into a little dust up with one of their old sets of bros you know it's uh-huh. just like, that's it. That's what's up. Um, I will say, even for most superhero stuff, the angle, like that downward angle is so extreme. Um, Porter's art is so much more fluid uh, than Kirby's. But uh, Kirby, Jack Kirby, mm-hmm. is his style is more, blo- or was more blocky, but he was very known for these like really extreme angles and like hand way in the foreground, you know, kind of kind of thing. And yeah. this reminds me of that. Like the style is so different, but the 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 composition is so Kirby um, that I you know, there's not a whole lot I can say about an artist that's nicer than, hey, you make me think of the king. So good job, you know. <laughs> But that's yeah. So I'm I guess I'm just less yeah. concerned in what's going on and more just in love with this, uh, you know, with this layout, this page layout. So. Right. No, it's it's really incredibly beautiful. It's very cool. Of course, we've got like the angel feathers that are flying all over the place. There's just lots of stuff going on. Um, it's got an incredible movement. It almost feels circular when you see the wings sort of splayed out. Yeah. Um, it's very, very cool. And I like it. Um, but again, like I like to know what's happening. Maybe that's just a personality flaw of mine, but I like to know what's happening. And sometimes I can't get it. I do have to say, though, like in the interior art, there is a lot of stuff that I'm not really sure 
sure about, that I'm not really sure what's happening. But Porter is amazing. Like every page is so interesting, so dynamic, so much stuff going on. Um, And the work that he does with all of this stuff happening, I think is pretty incredible. So I just, I just have to say like, he's amazing. Yeah. And in the, um, since Porter's responsible for both the covers and the interiors, I can kind of transition from one to the other one. I get you on the, I'd Mm -hmm. like to know what was going on. At the same time, let's remember what covers jobs actually are, which is to get you to pick it Mm -hmm. up in the first place. So we don't want to give away the farm. We would rather, I think, be Mm -hmm. a little confusing or strange or weird. I mean, the the most kind of ridiculous historical example of this is that uh, gorillas became a big deal at DC because they realized they moved 20% more units when they put a gorilla on the cover. I mean, well, you know, everything's, a, yeah, so, everything's a function of capitalism. So sure. Well, yeah, but it, but it, again, it's, <laughs> yeah, this is yeah. a little bit about the pop chart thing, like the trends and stuff like it's right. weird. But just mm-hmm. in, in defense of the the whole story not being clear on the cover, that's not really the cover's job. The cover is job is to get you to go, wait, right. what the hell? And, you know, here it is yeah. working on you. Um, so looking at the interiors of this book, the last couple issues in this one, I was reminded of MTV's Pimp My Ride. Another dating myself <laughs> reference. Because it feels like we're pimping our comic book. Hey, like, I heard you like Porter, so I put some Porter in your Porter yeah. so you could Porter mm-hmm. while Portering. Like, that's what this <laughs> art is, and I love it. Again, no notes. It's great. It's great. I got to see. All right. So let's get started talking about the story. And um, let's start with Superman. What do, you, what do you have to educate me on with Superman? Well, I don't know about education per se but (laughs) i was a person who was very skeptical of superman being blue at this time like it just you know i was Mm -hmm. skeptical of the whole thing i wasn't really reading superman books because i wasn't really reading dc um Mm -hmm. and as listener matt liparata reminded me i was not alone like there were a lot of people very skeptical about this (laughs) because it was like kind of out of nowhere as a power shift And everybody was like, oh, we got to make Superman less powerful, which is kind of bonkers because this was not a wildly overpowered era for Superman. In fact, the thing I want to bring up here is he stops the moon from falling with science, with the use of his new powers. He would not have been Mm -hmm. strong enough at the time, at the era that this was being written, he would not have been strong enough to just push the fucking moon back into orbit. Like at the time, <laughs> there are absolutely moments in DC history where he would yeah. have been. Like I've, I've got a, a panel of yeah. Superboy in mind right now where he's dragging dozens of literal planets on huge chains. Okay. So like, mm. but that was not this time. So like regular flavor Superman could not have put the moon back, but skeptical blue electric Superman is like, oh yeah, fuck you. I know a little science. Let's mess with magnetic fields and show your ass. And it's great. It's great. (laughs) It is great. I love that moment, right? I love that moment with Superman. I am almost afraid to bring up the overpowered discussion that we've had in the past in which I have asserted that there are certain characters. uh, This was back in Listen Up A-Holes with the Marvel Universe that were overpowered. And you said there's no such thing as overpowered. That's not a thing in in superhero comics. comics. 
It's not a thing in superhero comics. I will argue that it's a thing in storytelling and that having characters that are overpowered does present problems in storytelling and comics are part of storytelling, but that is an argument we've had before. Neither one of us is going to budge. But here's the thing. If in this, the the blue Superman was an attempt to make Superman less like all powerful, as you say, or as I might say, overpowered, <laughs> then is that something within the, the DC comics that they were realizing that he had too much power. You have a confluence <laughs> of several things going on there. Okay. Um, Come I was not me. prepared yeah. for this. So <laughs> buckle up. Let's see how I do. Um, there's a, okay. There's a couple, there's a couple of things. Um, one of those mm-hmm. things is that, uh, I'm I'm going to reference Chris Sims, um, a comic book essayist okay. and podcaster that I've been a big fan of for a long time. And uh, they wrote, I may be able to find it for the show notes, but maybe not uh, for reasons that aren't interesting enough to go into it. This was on a website that's largely defunct mm-hmm. now. But they did an article where they talked about how DC is always, to a certain extent, dealing with the problem. Capital T, capital P, Mm -hmm. okay? And the DC problem is it wants to be Marvel. So DC Mm -hmm. rules the fucking world selling to, uh, you know, six to 10 year olds for a thin dime for decades. And then they fall out of favor. Again, it's funny, cultural trends, like largely because of the House on American Activities Committee and um, the way that it focused on childhood delinquency in extremely stupid fucking ways. Uh, and, yeah. and the reliance on a on a text by uh, I forget his first name, Doctor Worthams, like a child psychologist. It was called mm-hmm. Seduction of the Innocent, and he was like, "Look at all of these delinquents. You know what they have in common? They all read comics, except motherfucker. It was 1940. Every kid read comics. There was not one kid." <laughs> So the Venn diagram yeah. of circle, the Venn diagram of kids and comics was a fucking circle. So the diagram of delinquents who also read comics, also a fucking circle, but different than the first circles, right? Anyway, so right. they fall mm-hmm. out of uh, out of popularity. Uh, uh, Marvel shows up, and their big claim to fame, their big like advancement of the technology is these stories are for young adults they wouldn't have said YA fiction at the time because it wasn't really a genre but that's right. 100% what mm-hmm. they were doing they moved it from 10 year olds to 13 year olds and it happened to catch on with mm-hmm. people in college and the rest is history and after that moment so mm-hmm. like really from the 60s to the 80s DC has a problem and they can't figure out how to fix it because they're getting outsold left right and center by these new Marvel comics and this is where they develop the problem where they want to be Marvel Crisis on Infinite mm-hmm. Earths happens, which does a whole bunch of stuff that I d- we can't, we cannot hear. But the two big ones were <laughs> simplifying the universe, which is just fucking a like it's it's part of the sales mm-hmm. pitch is interconnected. Everything's really complicated, and this is twenty years after Marvel had been publishing. Marvel wasn't fucking simple either at that point. Come the hell on. <laughs> So it's supposed to simplify the universe, and it's also supposed to bring a lot of our extremely powerful characters down to what I will call a Marvel level, right? And Superman was definitely Mm -hmm. one of these. Now, do I think that's necessary? No. And it's a stupid fucking conversation from Jump. You don't beat Marvel (laughs) by doing Marvel shit. 
you lean into the stuff uh-huh. that makes you different, which which I feel very strongly is what JLA is doing here. The, like it leans into that sense of scale and mythology and gravitas that yeah. like that. I mean, there is some of that mythology and gravitas now to an extent at Marvel because it's been so long. But even so, we don't think of those characters in the same kind of really broad archetypal terms that we can with uh, uh, with like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, things like that. Right. So that's that's the it's this is DC once again sort of leaning into the problem. And I, I think Sims talks about the other problem, capital T, capital O, capital P, which is they're never going to be as good at being Marvel as Marvel is. So why, what are you doing? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, are Mm -hmm. there ebbs and flows of power level? Sure. Does this really matter in the broad scheme? Not really. It's just like kind of wrongheaded business Mm -hmm. because this is the other thing that I think this is speaking to is that you have a lot of writers who say, man, Superman's really hard to write. No, he isn't. You just want lifting heavy shit and bullets bouncing off of him to be his biggest problems. That's dumb as shit. He's amazing at those things. That's not where you poke him. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. But because you have a lot of really legitimately unimaginative professionals when it comes to Superman, that that's what mm-hmm. they say. So there's often this move to, oh, I had to bring him down a notch. No, you're just a fucking hack, I think. Is, you know. <laughs> Well, when he's physically that powered, though, you're right. Like, he, you need to get him where he's vulnerable. And the only place where he's vulnerable is in his squishy little insides. Like, how yes, he's feeling, ma'am. what his emotions yes. are, where his thoughts are. All of that, I think, is great. Not going to get into the... But I would like to just stop for a moment and just make a point for anybody listening. That is something that I asked him without putting it in the notes. <laughs> he had no preparation for it. He's quoting specific people, remembering their names off the top, remembering the history. I'm just saying that if you have a con or if you have any, you need a panelist for anything, you need a guest on a podcast, you cannot do better than Joshua Unruh talking about comics because <laughs> I've been doing this for years and I have yet to throw him off where he's like, yeah, I really don't know. <laughs> Well, I'll just sit here blushing then with uh Oh with right. You but, can blush while I go into know. my <laughs> my moment of what the fuck. All right, all right, all right. So we got a couple of things here. Um one of them is Coma Guy, right? Who is somebody who will be significant, is my understanding, but we have no idea who he is. But clearly, even when he's in a coma, looks evil. Like has evil coloring, there's just evil like emanating from this guy that has the demons in the flowers by his bed. There's just evil there. So I don't know what's going on. Okay. But wait. I predict evil. Um, Those aren't yes. even connected. And I love that. Like, cause the it demons, does, it's not even because connected. demons are everywhere. Remember hell is everywhere. Demons right? are everywhere. Hell um, is everywhere. Yes. He, I, I'll just, I'll just say this because we're going to talk about the last page of the book, right? He's the key. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He is a yes. well-known super yes. villain. Uh, well, I say well-known, like a pretty strong B-lister, mm-hmm. like JLA B-lister, you know. Okay. Um, okay. And uh, basically, you know, no lock, no puzzle, you know, can hold him kind of thing. Uh, when last okay. we saw him, he was going into this coma. And we're going to talk more about how this has expanded his abilities um, when he is Great. the antagonist in the next two-parter. So, <laughs> uh, again, well, this is I'm serial storytelling being yeah. done well. Right? Like, we're teasing the next story without taking the focus off of this story. Like, a lot of weird shit's happening. This one is a very specific brand of weird shit. Because you'll notice, 
the doctor that's on the ground is like fishing his keys out of his pocket and somebody is in the background writing unlock, unlock, unlock on the wall. And it's because uh-huh. the key is having an effect on them as he leaves the hospital to go get up to his shenanigans that we'll see in the next couple issue. Well, yeah, there's a nurse straddling what is clearly a dead man. I think as he's just really sick because I don't know why there would just be a dead guy in the hallway of the hospital. I don't know, <laughs> but regardless, regardless, it's pretty, I mean, a lot of the stuff here, you know, JLA, like, I don't know who this was, what age group at the time that this was written for, this wasn't for kids, this wasn't for, like, a particular, is it? Yeah. Because there's a nurse straddling either dead or unconscious, this man absolutely is. There is sexual assault happening, like, in the background of this panel that is really dark. And so for that moment, I was a little bit confused about about that and, like, what exactly it is that we're doing. Because that's a, that's a big thing to have happening in the background. And I understand that he's affecting the people around him. But that's dark. That's some dark shit. What I'm saying is that has narrative weight. That feels yeah. out of place for something that is just kind of a flag in the ground for whatever's coming next. Um, I mean, I didn't particularly trip on it. But again, I'm ready for a lot of crazy <laughs> shit to happen. And I was like, oh, the true, villain true. for next issues. Okay, cool. I mean, you know, like, I'm not saying yeah. that well, okay. your reaction is incorrect. <laughs> I think this is a very your <laughs> mileage may vary, you know, situation. So. It may well be. Okay, so let's go to the next thing. Where, like, oh, And God. these are things that, of course, Joshua and I were texting back and forth because I was like, what the fuck is this? Also, I'd pay money to watch your back. Why is the quote-unquote good angel sexually harassing Wonder Woman while she's trying to get her fucking work done? Why is that a thing? And nobody's smacking him in the face. Nobody's calling it out. Wonder Woman is just putting up with it. Yeah. Um, what the actual fuck with that? So if I were to read this in the most charitable way, I am reminded of a thing that Claremont did when they were when when he was writing the X-Men. And there was yeah. this time early on when like every noble villain, you know, every villain, but one with a code of honor, you know, kind of thing would fall mm-hmm. in love with Storm. Yeah. Like every one of them, like uh, uh, Dr. Doom did it. Magneto thought about it. Fucking Dracula. Mm-hmm fell in love with Storm. And if I was being super charitable, I'd say, oh, that's what we're doing here with Wonder Woman. Except those guys literally fell in love with her, like sent her love poems and flowers. And sometimes they kidnapped her too, because mm-hmm. they're villains. Like, let's not put too fine a point on it. But I mean... Yeah, they're villains. And here, here that's is our part good of the guy. narrative. Yeah, like sexually harassing Without Wonder Woman at the consequence, workplace. Without so much as a raised eyebrow while we have one one female character that is a main character aside from the nurses who are forced to because of the influence of this key uh, sexually assault dead or dying people in a hallway like the i'm i'm concerned about what is happening with women in this entire thing um, I don't know what that's about. I don't know if there's a like wider thing, but I have huge what the fuck vibes with that. Um, then, then, then we get Zoriel 
caused all of this mayhem. Now, granted, okay, blaming the victim a little bit. Zoriel became human. He went through the proper channels. He wanted to be mortal. He came down to Earth, right? Because he had something really important to do. Really important to do. And then, of course, Asmodel follows him. There's secrets to be told, yada, yada, yada. Wants to shut him up. You know, it's basically a mob hit, right? So at the end, we discover that Zoriel asked to be human and mortal and caused all this ruckus so he could go see about a girl who does not know him, is not aware of him, is not in love with him, but he's in love with her. You know, like... I get that he didn't anticipate Asmodel coming after him. I get that he didn't anticipate that he would throw all of San Francisco into a fiery hell in the process. But narratively, when we see that all of this stuff happened because an angel wanted to go and see about a girl where he is in love with her and she doesn't know who he is, which means that he has been spying on her, involved with her in some way, watching her, uh, stalking her in whatever way is available to angels, is now in love with this woman that he has stalked who has no knowledge of his existence whatsoever and has to come to Earth for Nookie. Like, is that is that what we're being given here or am I misreading that? Um, Once again, like- the other woman that we have here has been stalked by an angel. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I don't know if this is going to make that better, but he was her guardian angel. So it's not like he was stalking her for creepy reasons. He was protecting her and in that process fell in love with her. Fell in love with her. Um, Which also, for what it's worth, him. (laughs) No, no, please, please damn him with all of this. Please go. Okay. And And felt that it was appropriate for him to come to Earth. And go to her house and tell her he loves her when she has no idea who he is, but he is still an angel. Like, he's still got a lot of power. So we're talking about an individual, a man with power, feeling entitled to a woman's attention because he likes her, even though she has no idea who he is. And what is she going to say? Oh, no. Like, I'm not interested, angel who could kill me with a look. Like... That's what, basically what she what does the, say. <laughs> well, good for her, but what the fuck? Like, <laughs> so yeah, I don't. I okay. I do feel like there are other stories that mitigate this. One thing you and I talked about uh-huh. is that we yeah. wanted this big reveal in this book, right? This one-page reveal, which definitely is not a great look for Zariel. Like, you know, yeah. even even um. Even adjusting for 90s sensibilities of what was appropriate in rom-coms and such, this is right. not the best look. Mm-hmm. It's not, Honestly, I feel like adjusting for 90s, not the worst look, which is not me defending it. I'm just saying you sit this next to a bunch of like romantic comedies of the time and you're going to be like, yep, dudes are kind of trash. Uh, so I can tear apart a lot of 90s romantic comedies, ones that I actually really love and enjoy. Yeah, yeah. With the exact same ferocity as this. So like, I get it. Like, yes. environmentally, so, we were telling a lot of these kinds of stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to say culturally, not a blip at the time. Like, should it have been? Yes. Right. I and mean, that's not what I'm arguing. Yes. But like, at the time, absolutely. this would have not fit the point. right in. Right, right in. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the story of Zariel and this woman does get told in more detail in some mm-hmm. other stories. And yeah. Zariel is 
very cognizant of the weird position he's put this woman in. She's not really interested. She has a boyfriend, if I recall correctly. It's been a while since I read all of this. Mm -hmm. But, like, she's not interested. It doesn't... I don't want to say it doesn't go anywhere. But, I mean, like, Zariel is actually like, yeah, very respectful. You know? Like, it was weird for me, too. I didn't expect to fall in love with you. But I... what uh, You know? Again, I don't know. It It is... Mm -hmm. I feel mitigated by these other stories making it so much less more problematic. However, that doesn't feed into this one page reveal in JLA. That's kind of extra textual to JLA. Although interesting question we don't have to answer now. What the hell does extra textual mean in a shared universe? <laughs> Is that even I a gotta thing? I got to say it's a you know, uh It may not it, I mean, it is a little bit in yeah, that yeah. the individual story that you are consuming at the time, I feel very strongly, really has a responsibility to provide you with a complete experience in that one text. And then yes, other texts, yes. like the series aspect of things, will then kind of um, play on that. But I don't think you get a pass... If there's something that's not in the story. And I think that like the the hit that women take overall in this issue from beginning to end is something that needs recognition. And the, the thing is, is that like when you're reading things or engaging with pop culture content, I think that it is absolutely appropriate to say, okay, for the time. But the thing is that we're reading it now. So for yeah, no, the time... Totally is not an excuse and not anything like that, which I don't think that you did. For the time, I think, is an understanding that, like, we're not condemning these writers, artists, yada, 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 for things that they didn't know and they didn't understand. However, because we are reading it now, because we are interacting with it now, these are really important questions for us to say, hey, here's this, here's this, here's this. Because not asking those questions, not acknowledging that this is really super fucked up with women, this issue with women, super fucked up. Yeah, um, I yeah. think it's important that we ask those questions, that we acknowledge that without a big condemnation of who's at fault and why are they wrong and why are they terrible people? That is not what's going on. You know, I think it's important to acknowledge it. Does it make me angry because I'm a woman who has gotten slapped in the face through, uh, you know, media since the day I started looking at media? Yeah. yeah. After a while, you get real tired of it, you know, and and there are things like that, you know, everybody here is white. There's no real like representation for anybody who is not white. That is also another discussion. But because it's not something I personally experience, I can acknowledge it, but I can't really speak to what that says and what that does. Right. But I think that like it's it's really important to see it. It's important yes, for us as yes. readers, as critical readers of media to see these things. Um, but I don't think that it's something that is is a condemnation necessarily of the people who wrote it because they wrote it within a context and a culture that was not respectful of women at the time that didn't acknowledge all of this stuff that thought it was perfectly fine. And we have to take that into account as well, I think. Absolutely. No argument. And if I if I had the mm -hmm. opportunity, I would actually be really interested to ask Morrison about that because they are queer. Mm -hmm. um, now, them coming yeah. out as non-binary is fairly recent. 
but I I get mm-hmm. the feeling that they have had an awareness of themselves longer than that. And and being queer doesn't magically make you not yeah. sexist or misogynist or whatever. But they do tend to be a person right. who who gets it overall. And so I um and it's one thing when Green Lantern does it right. Like we have seen this from Kyle a few times, but he always gets in trouble. Like somebody chews him out. Right. Either Wonder Woman like stares him down, or Jean is like. Kyle, you know, like he gets a thing. So and that's what you need, a textual acknowledgement. Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just want no, to no. like point this out and shine a light on what you just said, because it's really important. When the text acknowledges that it's not okay, we're fine. Like the fact is mis- misogyny, sexism, racism, all of these things exist in our culture. And acknowledging that is not a bad thing at all. It's actually a good thing. However, when the text refuse, like in none of these instances, is does the text seem to be even remotely interested in what the fuck with Wonder Woman getting sexually harassed yeah. on the job. You know, is that supposed to be cute? It's not. Um, you know, this woman, this this high-powered, you know, like entity coming down and saying, I'm in love with you. And what is she supposed to do with that? Um, like that, like all of that, the ways in which women, even women that are on our team, even Wonder Woman who should mm-hmm. get some goddamn respect, right? None. And so I find that to be something that needs attention because the text is not calling it out when the text calls it out and says that's not okay we're fine because it's being acknowledged and that i think that's the the question is that i would just be not like a how dare you but just a what was what was going on right like personally what was Mm -hmm. going on were you just kind of growing it up at the time and you've evolved since or uh, you know not not to demand explanations but i'm legitimately curious because i know more about the creator's life how was that impacting or not impacting here what you know what was going Mm -hmm. on and and they don't necessarily owe me an answer obviously but i would definitely have like what what pieces were going into this that this is the sausage that came out pardon the pun that this is what came out right and to say that like not only does you know being queer mean that you're suddenly not you don't have misogynist sexist or like racist whatever um you know ideas and beliefs in your head that you may not even be aware of but like being a woman doesn't automatically clear me from misogyny and sexism like nothing sure. does yeah, because it's yeah. in the culture you know and the thing is is that like it's in the culture we learn it from day one and the process of unlearning it is a long tangled process that we all have to go through at some point like we have to unlearn these things that we've been taught to believe are true that are not true that we've been taught to believe are acceptable and okay that are not acceptable and okay and right Mm -hmm. now we're in that process of doing a lot of unlearning and i mean you can point to stuff in my books like the thing is i'm not that popular an author nobody gives a fuck like there aren't enough people who give a fuck about my books to like call me to carpet on them but like i've seen shit in my books where i'm like oh no lonnie pass lonnie not great. That is yeah, not great, yeah. you know. And I recognize, and if somebody came to me and said, you know, what the fuck with this, I would say, literally didn't know the damage I was doing, unlearning everything now, and I'm moving forward, trying to do better with the work that I create. And that honestly is the only thing that anybody can do. 
You know, yeah. like everybody who has been brave enough to create within this world has probably done some harm at some point because there are things that in the culture that we're trained to believe that are just not true. So um, all of that said, like, this is why I feel like it's really important to not condemn creators, but to have these discussions. Yes. And the thing yeah. is, so many people are so interested in having discussions that condemn creators rather than ask the questions about the creators are a mirror reflecting us back at ourselves. The problem is not Grant Morrison. The problem is us. So we're taking a look at us. What I am critiquing is us, is the culture that I was participant in at this time as well. So yeah. I think I think we need to learn to like separate that stuff out. And yes, do I get angry? Do I get like, what the fuck with this? Yes, because I'm so tired. Because as a woman, I am so tired of taking these slaps all the time. And I used to take them willingly back in the day because I didn't know that these things were not true, that I didn't deserve them somehow. And it's taken me a long time to get there. So yeah, it's frustrating for people who are affected by the particular slings and arrows that come at us through our media. But um, the condemnation of creators is something that I am adamantly against in in media <laughs> like and you're talking about yeah, the stuff that they yeah. created things that somebody might do it like as a human being with a lot of power because they have a lot of media and stuff behind them things that they say as themselves you know that i think we need to definitely do cultural yes. critiques of it's that and hold people different. accountable yeah. that's a whole different thing but i think that we get into this space um, where we have a lot of conversations about art versus the artist and yada 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 and this is not that Grant Morrison, to my knowledge, has done nothing in their personal life that requires any accountability or anything. And I don't think that this requires accountability. I think that this requires us as readers, when we engage with material, to ask the question. I, I, I absolutely agree. That's why. And, and the reason that I would love to ask Morrison about this, um, again, because yeah. I know a little bit about their life, but also because when I was buying this, in as much as I was political at all, I was a right wing shithead. So, like, ah, man, all mm -hmm. all fingers point back here as far as were you kind of a shit show of a human being politically? Um, <laughs> and and I put uh, I put sexism, misogyny, and all that under the umbrella of politics because I'm not talking about partisan things. I'm talking about the disposition of power. Yes. Right? Everything is political because yes. it's always about the disposition of power, not because of your partisan mm -hmm. bullshit. Okay, so. I say that to say, like, I have had a massive transformation literally since I was reading this very book. Um, and yeah, so I'm just like, what's been going on? Like, what happened? Uh, did it not even yeah. blip? Or yeah. like I said, did you did you make the joke knowingly and it just lands different now than you did at the time? I just have I just have questions, partly as a creator, partly as a fan, partly as a person yeah. who's been on their own journey since this time. So, yeah, I am with you on all of that. Um if we have dealt with your moments of what the fuckery, um, yes. <laughs> there's there's like one more Superman bit that is uh, mm -hmm. there's a moment in this story that really got my attention because I think a lot about the Jewish roots of Superman. Now, I am mm -hmm. not Jewish. Um, however, for a variety of reasons, uh, my own faith tradition, other things that I've worked on, wanting to know the history of the creators that made my favorite characters. Because of all those mm -hmm. things, I have kind of um, a, a, what I, I'd like to think is a, a, a 
a handle, the beginnings of a good handle from an outsider's perspective, right? Yeah. So the scene in this that really got my attention is Superman wrestles an angel and he doesn't (laughs) win. He wrestles the angel to Mm -hmm. a standstill, right? It's Flash and Green Lantern that Mm -hmm. win the day. But in the process Mm -hmm. of that, there's Superman wrestling an angel, which, by the way, why are you confused? That he's withstanding the light of heaven. He is one of the purest souls. Come on. He's a really good guy. (laughs) But the reason that the wrestling an angel really got my attention and made me think of these extremely Jewish roots of Superman is that um, depending on your translation of the Tanakh of the Old Testament, uh, Jacob's either wrestling God or an angel. I mean, it's pretty clear to me that it's wrestling God, but a lot of times this gets turned into some kind of you know, messenger, you know, a stand in for, for God. And Mm -hmm. uh, Jacob doesn't win either, but he also doesn't lose. Mm -hmm. Um, And in fact, that is when Jacob's name is changed to Israel, which will be the name of my people. I struggle with God um, is the way that I've, Mm -hmm. I've heard that translated. Okay. So, so the, you know, that that's, that's the foundational myth, like of, of the people. Um, The first time that they, as a people got that name, it's because one of their patriarchs, wrestled God to a standstill. And here we have Superman, who originally Mm -hmm. an extremely Jewish character that has, Mm -hmm. just by the nature of who's been writing them over the decades, that uh, um, comics in general and superhero comics in specific were extremely Jewish owned and and driven in their earliest inceptions. Like uh, almost any of the names that you can imagine from the beginning. These are Jewish men. Um, Jack Kirby's real name is Jacob Kurtzberg. Uh, Stan Lee's real name is Stanley Leibowitz. You know, uh, uh, just you you start to name them. It's very Jewish fueled. And Mm -hmm. so you had Siegel and Schuster creating a very Jewish approach to Superman that has then by the nature of who's written them since kind of got Christianized pretty heavily. Superman gets like. Mm-hmm. set into a Jesus or a science Jesus role a lot. And sometimes it works great. And a lot of times it's just hollow as shit. But I really had this moment where I was like, yeah, there's some, there's some of that Jewishness, you know, uh, that has been lost on purpose or by accident, just by the ebb and flow of the story. I was like, that's an extremely Jewish picture of Superman right there as he wrestles an angel to a standstill. It's pretty great. I like that. I a lot. love that. Speaking of Jewishness, because this is probably going to come up in this, I feel like you have some questions or concerns about angels in general (laughs) that I might be able to address to some extent. I Um, would love to hear all of your thoughts about that, because, yes, like angels and demons in a superhero universe do feel a little at odds for me, but I think it's because the superhero universe is so much broader than even the experience that I've had with it. And understanding that, understanding that it is like the big tent of genres. Like you can Mm -hmm. pretty much almost do anything in a superhero, right? Um, So how do we end up with angels and demons as part of this storytelling? Well, I think we talked a little bit about this last time, but like making a superhero angel is not... On paper, like if you flatten it out, it's not much different than Wonder Mm -hmm. Woman being empowered by Greek gods or Thor being a space alien that inspired worship of Norse gods and sometimes actually being a god like that has shifted at Marvel 
you know, over time. So like if you flatten it out, I don't think there's a lot of difference there. The difference that I think comes in is that uh, angels and demons are still part of a two, actually, uh, still heavily believed in religions, like active religions in um, uh, in at least most flavors of Christianity and Islam. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. The Jewish angle is a little different and is kind of interesting to me uh, because there are jewish demons um and also let me let me just preface i am not an expert on any of this but i am a very interested (laughs) amateur okay so Mm -hmm. uh like you you said at the beginning not all angels are good angels was super obvious like exposition is it though (laughs) because isn't a bad angel just a demon you know is the i mean is that what it is but like the the idea that all angels are good is is fairly simplistic and that all demons are bad is fairly simplistic and in a lot of storytelling like you know of course i did a two series podcast series on both buffy the uh vampire slayer and um and the angel series um Mm -hmm. uh, that came out that's still pretty and still dead so i've been talking about demons as necessarily evil for a while and we do have demon characters in that universe that are not bad uh, you know, some of them are right. good, you know, right. like just because you're a demon doesn't mean that you're evil. Just because you're an angel doesn't necessarily mean that you're good. And I think that overall, but in in a lot of storytelling, when we see angels, angels are good and demons are bad. And that's just kind of how we 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 swap it up. But what I was talking about with the obvious is that here we have Asmodel tearing shit up <laughs> as an right. angel. So like when you have something over the visual of, of an angel, angel just you know destroying the place not all angels are are good i felt like was yeah yeah, oh we get it yeah uh okay so yeah from a really christian perspective Mm -hmm. if you're an angel who rebelled in lucifer's rebellion Mm -hmm. then you're a demon like that's that's what the big difference is um but the thing is almost all of that is extra biblical like it's it's Mm -hmm. a folklore about lucifer about satan well less about lucifer and more about satan lucifer is a very christian concept satan as an opposite number to god is um uh as opposed to a functionary in god's court which is how most of the tanakh deals with the satan um the idea that that's the focal point was really like a folklore a cultural belief that grew up during the intertestamental period uh in between the closing of the Jewish canon and the opening of the Christian canon. Um, That's not a very long time. It's a few hundred years. But in that time, uh, this like real fascination with like dark powers in the world and that there is a leader of them who stands up in opposition to God. That's new. Like that's relatively new. Um, And I can say that because I've had a little, uh, education on Jewish demons, which I don't even like using the phrase Jewish demons because the dark spirits in Judaism are, they have different origins. They have different purposes. Not all of them are, none of them are good, but not all of them are like slavering over the fangs evil either, you know? So they're shading, Mm -hmm. shading or how they're referred to. So I'm probably going to say that because saying demon like gives a connotation to those of us that grew up in at least a background culturally christian mm-hmm. perspective yes so so like that's new and not mostly in 
either of the sets of sacred texts. Like there's a lot of reading mm -hmm. in, but yeah. So if you go at it from sort of a, a synthesis kind of idea that you have mm -hmm. angels, uh, supernatural creatures created by God to serve God. And you have Shadim mm -hmm. who are either were meant to be a, there's a, a few different like ways that they came to being. So either they are a lesson to all of us that the work is not just put aside on the Sabbath. It's actually done. Whether it's done or not, it's done, right? Because one of the stories is that Hashem uh, did not, uh, that God um, did not create bodies for them in time for the first Sabbath and then just went, yeah, you're done now. It's fine. That the work <laughs> is finished and they don't love it. That's one uh -huh. one thing. Another, but but another perspective is that uh, ties Shadim into rebellion also, in that Adam had a wife before Eve named Lilith, and she rebelled. Yes. She did not accept mm -hmm. her place um, in a hierarchical situation. And when she departed the garden, something fundamentally changed about her, and she became a Shadim and then gives birth to a thousand Shadim a day, something like this. Like it's crazy. Like, mm -hmm. so yeah. there's just different, different ways that you get them. But, and one of them does have to do with rebellion against uh, God's order, but it's not the same as mm -hmm. an angel figure who says, no, I think I can be like God and stages a rebellion and falls. And so if you kind of do mm -hmm. a syncretic version of this, like between Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, I think you can get to a place where there's like, there's angels that are good and they do the thing that God wants them to do. And there are angels that are bad, but that usually means that they're rebelling, which holds true with mm -hmm. Asmodel here. And then there is a group of spirits that are the equal but opposite number to the angels that are bad, ranging from bad to evil, you know, uh, that were mm -hmm. either created that way or birthed that way, but were not strictly part of the original created order. Again, that's a real broad brush. I'm not an expert. I'm just a very interested observer. Um, but it does it. And, and what I, what I appreciate about this is I think you and I talked about this off mic a little bit is that you can bring mm -hmm. any genre or any folklore or any mythology into a superhero universe, but by nature of making it part of the superhero universe, like a whole bunch of nuance just gets scraped off along the way, right? Anything will fit in the right. superhero mm -hmm. universe, but the edge has got to be rounded for that to happen. So like your average right. Norse person would look at our picture of Thor and be like, I'm sorry, the fuck what, you know, <laughs> right? And, and honestly, same thing for any classical Greek that saw how we treated uh, the, the Olympians when it came to, you know, things like Wonder Woman, right? Like it just scrapes the nuance off. So they're not not those things, but they are also clearly not exactly those things. And I think that's what happened here. It only stings a little or gets our attention a little because these are concepts that are like actively believed in by large swaths of people right now. So it feels different culturally. But what I really like about the experiment is it works. It fucking works. Like yeah. we can climb into some of this other bigger questions about angels and demons and shade and stuff like that. And it's interesting, but you don't actually need it. The superhero shit still works. Yes, absolutely. But I do love that, that like extra textual sort of context for all of that. And once again, I cannot recommend enough inviting Joshua Unruh to your con or panel or whatever it is that you need, because all of that was not in the notes. He just did it. So... I was a little more prepared for that one, but also um, <laughs> I knew we would probably have that conversation. But also in really all this 
other information that I shared, there is stuff that I have just gleaned along the way, either mm -hmm. working through things in my own tradition or learning more about Judaism as a whole and how that impacts my tradition. So um, if you if anybody heard anything wrong there, you can actually at me on that one. Anything I've said before that one, mm -hmm. fucking lump it. I don't care. I'm right. You're wrong. Whatever. <laughs> But in that space, if you've got some uh, some big, big thoughts and feelings on that. And I'll do one more podcast shout out. Um, I actually learned almost everything. I've, I've read other sources since then, but my education on Shadeem started with a podcast that is sadly has not been updated in a while, but has a bunch of episodes you can go listen called Throwing Shade. That is about the Shadeem. Uh, great stuff. Go listen to that if you're curious about uh, Jew Jewish demonology from somebody who is, in fact, an expert. <laughs> we are entering now the portion of the show where we talk about our various and sundry favorite parts. And let's kick it off with favorite art. Uh, I have already yes. telegraphed my own personal favorite. I love <laughs> the big-ass page where Superman is wrestling an angel. Um, partly because mm -hmm. of everything I've mentioned before, but also because Wally stands there and goes, and this is the guy who was worried he wasn't going to live up to his myth. <laughs> and that's funny. It is. It is absolutely a really, really great moment. Um, I have to say for me, like there's so much fantastic art. And again, you know, when you're choosing favorite art from anything that Porter has done, it is an embarrassment of riches. But there was this one panel um, on the page, you know, they're battling Asmodel. There's all this stuff going on. Um, and then they have like the, um, the vibrations are going off or whatever. And in this one panel, everybody is blurred. And for a moment, I was like, okay, wait, is that me? Like, I'm old. My eyes are going a little bit. Maybe it's me. But then I see, of course, that the speech bubbles are perfectly clear. And there is something about the representation of these vibrations kind of hitting them um, that I, I really loved. And that was just art that I was not expecting and was really cool. Oh, yeah. It's um, kind of early Photoshop. You know, yeah, um, yeah, it does feel and, like, that. and I'm good with it. But I, because that's actually uh, comic book art has gotten really complicated these days, both uh, at yeah. the illustration and coloring level, and not always in ways that I think serve us largely. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's a much bigger conversation. But I do like a little bit of liberal use of you know that kind of thing to get effects that you just yeah. literally could not have done with your pencil, you know, a handful right. of years before mm -hmm. that, you know. Um, mm -hmm. how about your favorite story part, Lonnie? What do you love most about this story? And everybody just buckle up. I already know the answer and it disappoints me to no end, honestly, <laughs> but like, it's good. And I'll explain. I'll explain. What's your favorite story? All part? right. All right. You can be disappointed, but it's fine. Um, like I have to say, it's whatever unholy darkness is going on with Coma Guy who interrupts Green Arrow's inauguration in the epilogue. Like, I have no idea what's going on with that. But I'm, I think I'm most interested in this whole story with these angels and everything, because maybe because it's something that is like, it's not entirely subtle because of what he does to the people around him when he wakes up. But there's something about that that I feel really intrigued by. And like, I want to know more about that guy and the, the angels and the, you know, all of the wild stuff that's going on around it just does not interest me as much. 
That's why it's a little disappointing. You're already focused on the next story when I'm like, but look at all this cool shit. But if it's cool shit that doesn't hit you where you're living, then, you know, I get it. I get it. But it's just like, look at all this cool shit. But the next story, also (laughs) full of cool shit. So, okay. Right. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, my personal favorite story moment was Neron, one of the lords of hell, demanding what power on earth could possibly restore the moon to its orbit. <laughs> Flip a page. Oh, it's Superman. Right. <laughs> seems seems legit. Go. Seems reasonable. Seems legit. Mm-hmm. Maybe like an answer he could have come to him on his own. I'm just saying, Neron, you know who you're dealing with. Well, possibly. Possibly. Uh, well, you know, the demons in this are very interesting, too, because they are kind of like a side plot. Like, they don't directly interact, aside from pulling the moon down, right? They feel a little bit kind of like uh, Shakespeare's fairies, you know, um, yeah, in yeah. Uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. Like, they feel like they're out there kind of, like, adding to the chaos that already exists, but not terribly interested in it. Um, mm-hmm, and I think that mm-hmm. that's kind of, it's kind of a fun little thing. So I, I like that, too. I think that's good. But yeah, I'm definitely interested in the next thing and i imagine at some point in the future we'll be reading that but unfortunately that won't be next week lonnie please tell us a little about what we'll be covering in our next episode of in the gutter all right we will be back next week with captain america number eight the winter soldier part one in which a couple of flashbacks fill in what bucky has been up to as the winter soldier for the last 60 years and steve takes it poorly Until then, why can't we all just be nice and have babies? Thanks for listening to In the Gutter with Joshua Anru and Lonnie Diane Rich. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider talking about it with your friends, leaving a review somewhere, or supporting Chipperish Media, patreon.com slash chipperish. 